to another episode of Sensational Customer Experiences. This is the show where we explore the idea that everything your customer knows about you is a direct result of input from their five senses. It's what they see, hear, taste, smell, and touch that determines how much they love you. And now here's your host and consumer experience expert, Wes Miller. Greetings and welcome to the Sensational Customer Experiences podcast, where we explore all kinds of different ways that you can make a sensory impact on your customers. Our premise, as you know, is that everything your customer or client knows about you is a result of input from their five senses. It's what they see, hear, taste, touch, and smell that determines how much they love you. And I'm excited today to have someone on the show who I've known for many years has been a influence on me with regards to this whole sensory concept. I'm here with Vito Salato, who uh, how many years have we known each other? Do we want to admit that? Uh, well, I can't do the math, but uh, it's got to be going back to the uh, to the early 90s, I believe. I was afraid you might admit to everyone what the answer was. Yeah. It goes back to uh, Vito was opening a hospitality company down in New Orleans, and I was invited to come in and assist and help and actually did that on a couple of occasions. Right. And next thing you know, Vito was coming to Las Vegas to do some hospitality work. And I had the opportunity to work for him for, I want to say, three years, maybe four. Three. 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 Yeah. And it's great seeing you again. Yeah. And I just have to tell, just in way of introduction, I remember when I first found out that we were going to be working for you, I was a little nervous about it because I I had this impression that you were pretty tough and, and pretty strict on what you wanted, what you were looking for. And we'll talk about that. But I uh, was working with another person who had worked for you in the past, and she assured me that it would be a great working experience and that working for you, let's see, how does she put it? She said, when you work for Vito, he makes sure you're successful. Well, thank you. Uh, and I found that to be true and to be the case. And instead of being tough, it was really, I was just being fair. There were no safe spaces in my department. <laughs> So Vito is now here. He is um, gonna. He is, has graciously agreed to talk to us about some of the different sensory experiences that he has encountered in the world of customer service, including some thoughts on internal customer service. Right when you first told me about your blog, Wes, uh, you know, great idea and great success with it. I, I thought it would apply to internal customers. Uh, you would ask me about customer service experience, and of course, having managed human resources for so many years. My customer is the internal customer. So how does this notion of the senses, what you what you sense when you work with another department in your company that is supposedly serving you? And we've all heard those cliches over the years about the internal customer and staff functions such as HR, law department, uh, finance. Uh, we don't uh, typically face the external customer who's given us the money for the cash register to generate the revenue for the company, but we do serve those who have those responsibilities. And how do we show up when we knock on our door and, hi, I'm from Human Resources. I'm here to help you. Do you remember when you took all the paperwork and you just right. kind of put the name in it? Oh, you want to talk about that? Yes, yeah, so I remember you talking about it. it. was when I transferred from New Orleans to uh, to Las Vegas, an internal transfer. And I still had to fill out, for some reason, all the new hire paperwork for the company. And I recall that some pieces of information, like your name, address, phone number, social security number, 
that same information was required on at least 15 different forms. And I'm not exaggerating because I, I counted them. So I, I remember clearly it was it was 12 to 20, uh, your name 20 times, I think, uh, that had to be written on a form. And that concerned me for two reasons. It didn't send a very good message to the new hire that we're going to come in and make you fill out paperwork your first day in the job. Uh, welcome. Now sit down and fill out paperwork for two hours. It um, The second was it, it chewed up two hours of time. We, we could have done something else with the new hire to create a better experience. We gather all that information during the recruiting process anyway. You fill out an application, you, you provide information on your resume. We know your name, address, whatever, et cetera. We gather that information. So we've had our staff, we had the HR staff input that into a computer system and that system generated all the paperwork. So all the employee had to do was read it, verify it and sign it. So when they arrived for orientation the first day, they came into the room, sat down at a desk with their name on it and there was a packet with a welcome cover page, welcome, and they went through and we took a 90-minute, two-hour process, and we cut it down to about 15 minutes. And now we had 90 minutes to do something else that was more enjoyable with the employee. Okay, so I heard you mention in that description of the creating of the paperwork that you felt there was there could be some better use of that 90 minutes to two hours of employee time instead of filling out paperwork. Uh, tell us more about that. What what kind of use? Would be a, what would be a better use of time with a new employee? Uh, well, I think the light bulb really light bulb for me went on was the day I failed, and you may recall that day because I think you were the first person I told I failed. I was walking from one end of the facility to the other. In fact, I was going to your office, and I was cutting through the back of the house. And this is an older facility that had been expanded piecemeal, so the back of the house looked like a rat maze. The newly hired employee, you could tell it was his first day, he is back there. He's got a piece of paper in his hand and he's looking for something and he stops and he goes, excuse me, can you tell me how to get to so-and-so's office? And I was in a hurry. So I did the typical, keep going, to, uh, take your first left, go down three stairs, take a right, take the shortcut across the, uh, the loading dock, take a left, and then take your next right after where the water fountain used to be. And it'll be the third office on, on the right. And I took off, leaving the kid there with uh, the deer in a headlight look. And I got to your office and I just stood there and I think you said, what's the matter? And the light bulb went on. I said, I just failed. It was the head of HR and I just failed a newly hired employee. I told you the story. And that was the day you and I committed to completely changing orientation. And the paperwork was part of it because the paperwork is a necessary evil. Had to get done. But we saved over an hour and put it toward a better use. And that better use was helping the employee succeed on the first day. And I think this highlights how you're talking about customer service. We're talking about internal customer service. And it begins with how you perceive, if you're going to provide a good service, you really have to understand and get a clear sense of how you believe the customer is perceiving you. Does an HR department or any other staff function really take the time to think about how the other departments are perceiving you? In this case, the customer was a newly hired employee. And how are they perceiving us? I'm just another Another cog in the machine. I come in, two hours of paperwork. I'm told to do this, told to do that. Yeah, we do a couple of fun exercises. They tell me what a great place this is. They tell me how important customer service is. Uh, then, okay, you can leave HR now and go stumble and try to find your way to your supervisor in whatever department you're in. Is that the message you want to send? What we did is we took over ownership of that orientation process and made sure that it was, it was worthwhile to the newly hired employee. 
We streamlined the paperwork and we used that time to make them successful and feel good. We had some fun exercises and you created this uh, treasure home where the employee had to go through the casino and learn all about it. And, and think about that for a minute. What does any newly hired employee who works in the casino need to know? What, what do customers come up and ask them? All kinds of questions. So the best thing to help a new employee succeed on the job is to help them feel competent and successful in front of customers. No one likes to be embarrassed publicly and admit to a customer, I, you know, to say, I don't know, you're admitting to the customer, I'm, I have no idea, I'm, I'm incompetent. No one wants to feel that way. I remember that we came up with that idea, with this, this scavenger hunt idea, and there was a huge amount of pushback. Mm-hmm. I remember one of the worries, because we sent people out on their own, you know, with their little scavenger hunt list, sent them on their own, away they went. And I remember one of the concerns was, yeah, well, what if they what if they spend a bunch of time just roaming around the property, not doing anything? And I, and I was like, if they're roaming around the property, they're experiencing things that they may not see or take the time to discover any other way. And we actually, the focus became so much on finding things. I remember people would come back. We gave them an hour to go do this scavenger hunt and they'd show back up like in 30 minutes, we found everything. And I would have to say to them, no, no, go back out and just look around. And we eventually changed the rules to where we told them the scavenger hunt is an hour and the door will be locked. So if you come back, you're not getting in anyway, stay out there, find all the things you're supposed to find in the scavenger hunt. And then an hour later, we'll open the door and come in and we're going to debrief what you experienced and what you learned. And that became a real powerful exercise for everybody because they actually got to now go out. You know, it used to be we would walk people through on a tour. Right. And the tour guy would point here, point there, and you'd look back and people would be talking and not, not really paying any attention because it was very one-dimensional. Something I'm kind of proud of, though, I don't get any credit for this, of course, but do you know that most properties on the Strip now do a scavenger hunt? Really? That concept that it worked so well that other people kind of took it and seeded it throughout other places and now... I hear everyone's, oh, yeah, we do the scavenger hunt. We learn. I'm like, oh, really? So I get a lot of, of interesting thought on when I hear people talking about that. Well, I can, I can say you were the first. Well, well yeah. that's exactly, you were the first. But you, you talked about pushback and the pushback also from hiring managers, wasting time and burning labor hours. That pushback changed from managers coming to us and say, can you put my existing employees through the new orientation? I remember. Because the new hires knew that facility better than people have been there 10, 15, 20 years. Exactly. That's exactly. how powerful that treasure hunt was. And, and the other way we made people feel successful on day one is, my, it goes back to my experience, right? I failed and blew off that kid behind the, in the back of the house and quickly dismissed him and said, go for, basically go find it on your own. You think about the, the newly hired employee, what's going through their mind? And I think what's going through their mind one of the questions they're asking themselves is, did I make the right choice? Particularly if they resigned from another company to come work for you. And I always took the assumption that they made a choice to come to you, even if they're unemployed, because maybe they were interviewing elsewhere, but they made a decision to come to you. And I'm sure in the back of their mind, some, most, many, whatever the number is, are thinking, did I make the right choice? And instead of taking that for granted, I would view orientation as the opportunity to close the sale. Let's face it, part of recruiting is selling. we got a great job here for you or a great company to work for, yada, yada. Part of, our, part of recruiting is selling. The orientation is closing the sale. 
that if that person shows up to orientation and they've got that question in their mind, did I make the right choice? You want them going home that night and telling their spouse, their kids, their parents, boy, did I make the right choice? Great company. It's going to be a great job. What can you do during that first day of orientation that'll make your employees go home that first day and say those kinds of things? And, and, just, and what we did is we worked with each department to come up with a departmental orientation that supplemented what we taught with, with the general, the company orientation, mm-hmm. because we addressed the questions, the other questions that are going through the new hire's mind. Where do I park? Where do I get my uniform? How do I record my time? Uh, who do I report to? Where do I go? What do I do the minute I, I, I arrive on property? All those questions that make a person feel uncertain, insecure, and worry about whether or not they made the right decision. So they stayed in our HR training room until the hiring manager or his or her representative came to HR and yep. personally escorted the new hire back to the department and showed them all those things we just talked about. I remember that was a critical piece because there was always this belief that, oh, yeah, they say this in HR, but when you leave HR, the hallowed walls of HR, and you go back to where you're really going to work, then the excitement and the the messaging is over. But what we wanted to do, and I remember we did so well, and, and you orchestrated this, was just really integrating it so that it was a seamless transition from I'm feeling great in HR to now I'm feeling great with the actual department people I'm going to work with. Mm -hmm. My brother uh, is a computer programmer and he has worked for the same company for probably about, well, over 10 years. And just last week, he finished out his two-week notice with this company. And this week started with a new computer programming company. It was interesting last week, two or three days before the end of the week, the CEO called him in. And as he's put it, he said he offered me an unbelievable amount of money, more money than they're going to pay me at the new place. But he was so dissatisfied with the experience where he was that he turned down that offer once, you know, he started the new place. I need to call him and I'm going to ask him did you make the right decision and see what he tells me and give give me some good insight as to what that company is doing. Uh, He feels pretty good about it. One of the things he said is the reason he turned down, he turned down more money to stay. He turned that down and went to a new company because he doesn't want to have regrets. He doesn't want to come to a point in his life where he looks back and says, I wonder what if, what if I had gone to a different company where I would get new opportunities and whatnot. I will be anxious to ask him that. I didn't even think about it, but I'm going to call him. I'm going to say, so did you make the right choice? And just kind of see what he says. I know they called him last Friday, reminding him that orientation was Monday morning. And he indicated that he sort of thought they might be a little afraid that maybe he'll change his mind and not show up. So they were still in the sales mode. Let's see if their orientation closed the sale as we've talked about. And I remember one of my takeaways from that was we, we were talking about this orientation. It was a complete overhaul of, of anything we'd ever done. And I remember saying to you, and I don't know if you'll remember this, but I, I said, how will I know if I'm going too far? You know, what, what boundaries? Because I knew about boundaries. And I said, what boundaries do I need to adhere to? And do you remember what you said? I'll remind you. You said, if you go too far, I will let you know. And you never did. And I got to worry that maybe I didn't go far enough because we, w- we went pretty far out. And some of the, you know, like I said, scavenger hunts and the different things that we did. 
but it was never deemed too far in your eyes. So I, I really respected that opportunity to just really go and do what was at that time some pretty uh, new, new things. Yeah, I, uh, I'd say they're innovative for the time, and well, we're still talking about it uh, 20 years later. So that's a very proud of what we accomplished back then. I want to talk about what you're doing now. I know you're doing some work with with uh, some consulting work, and I'm going to get. I want you to take the chance to give a plug and talk about what you're doing. Well, I'm working with a consulting firm in Raleigh, North Carolina, called Statarius. Uh, you can check us out at statarius.com. S T A T A R I U S. And uh, as uh, as our founder and president, Dr. Gary McGrath, always likes to say, we make good bosses into great leaders. I'm really enjoying it. It's given me the opportunity to uh, coach uh, the next generation of leaders and managers. I enjoy giving back and sharing my experience and, and being a, an executive coach. But I also am proud of our, our leadership program. I think for the same price, uh, we give the best, uh, as other better known programs, we give the best leadership program out there. And the reason is the number of touches we have. Uh, most leadership programs will come in five days, seven days, 10 days, one time shot, information dump. And at best, you may get one, each participant may get one coaching session. We refuse to do it that way. We will not sign a client unless they commit to a 10 month program where we'll come in for three days and then spread out the teachings over the next nine months. And during that time, each participant is given 10 one hour coaching sessions. There are also homework assignments during each month where the participants are asked to try to implement something they've learned in class and then write a three, four, five-sentence paragraph about that experience in order to complete their homework. As a result of uh, spreading out the program over 10 months, the 10 coaching sessions, the homework assignments, I feel we do a much better job of transferring knowledge from classroom to on the job. Can you give us an example, not mentioning any names or any companies, but can you just tell us give us a story about a person maybe you worked with and you saw them go from being a great boss to a great leader. Well, I have one particularly that, that stands. I just finished a program, uh, finished coaching this young man. Uh, I remember when I first talked to him on the phone, he'd been recently transferred to a new location as the manager of the region. And I could I could hear the stress in his voice. He was uh, I was in Raleigh, he was in Mississippi. We do a lot of coaching over the phone as well, but, but we meet the person obviously during the classes. And that first uh, that first contact, I could sense the, the stress in his voice. He talked about how he was bringing that stress home. Uh, it really made me concerned for um, not only his success on the job, but the impact it may have on his family. And in fact, instead of one coaching session a month, I called him three times that first month just to check in, see how you're doing. And we worked through a couple of things, and his big issue was he couldn't let go. He thought to be a good leader, he had to know everything. He had to know it better than anyone on his staff. He had to be able to do it better than anyone on his staff, and he just wouldn't let go. And as you can imagine, when you think you have to do everything, you everything gets put on you. It's your responsibility to get everything done, and you become a bottleneck because no employee is allowed to make a decision. You have to make decisions for them. And I call that learned helplessness. You're teaching your employees not to do anything, to be helpless. You're teaching employees not to take any action or take any risk without your prior approval. You can't succeed that way. I worked with him and we taught him in the program and the other coaches help as well. We, we coach as a team to get him to change his approach to how to manage people, to learn how to let go, to learn how to delegate, to learn how to clarify expectations, to learn how to coach people. When somebody makes a mistake, it's not 
time for immediate discipline. It's time to coach, help them learn from their mistake. And over the course of months, particularly when the light bulb went on at about the seventh month, I could I could hear the stress in his voice disappear. And he was going, he was leaving the office. And he used to work. He used to get in the office between six and seven a.m. and leave eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. Go home and the phone ring. He never stopped. And he got to the point he was he was leaving the office at five o'clock, like everybody else, because he had delegated things. Everybody else in the office all of a sudden were happier. They liked the challenge. They liked learning themselves, and they were really operating as a team. That reminds me. Do you remember teaching me your definition of empowerment and the example that you gave for that? Well, yeah, I think it started with um, my paradox. What I call Stilato's paradox is that boundaries create freedom. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, I think the I think the story was if I took you up to the highest building in Las Vegas at night, cloudy night, no no lights, and I said run around, have a good time, you'd be reluctant to run around up there. You'd, you'd kind of hang against the wall near the center. But if we put up a ten foot length fence and said you're not going to fall off, you'd be free to run around all over the place. And the same is with um, with job responsibilities. If you tell an employee to do a job, you don't clarify the boundaries. What's expect, what, what's the expected result? What authority do I have to make the decisions? What resources do I have? Uh, where do I go for help? Uh, they're not going to move. They won't take the risk. They won't do anything. So the first step in empowering an employee is setting clear expectations and boundaries of authority. Uh, the second rule of empowering people is never empower stupid people and recognize that you as the manager is the one who makes them stupid. Again, we're back to learn helplessness. If you're going to give someone a responsibility, then as a manager, it's your responsibility to give them the training and tools they need to succeed. And the way we grow people is a matter of just growing those boundaries and continuing to coach them on their new skills and abilities. That is the story exactly. That's the story you told me a long time ago, and it really stuck. I remember thinking about you know being on the roof of that building and just picturing myself going over, ah, falling off the edge. Better to stay kind of not move much. But when you have those boundaries and the feeling of safety, then all of a sudden you can move about. So, yep, that's the exact story. Glad to hear you remember that as well as I do. And it sounds like some of the stuff you're still doing, your coaching and whatnot. If someone wants to uh, coach with you, what what do they do? How do they get a hold of Statarius to well, they can find say, out more. They can check out our website at st- www.statarius.com. Again, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S. Or you can email me at vito at statarius.com, V-I-T-O. Excellent. And I would, if anyone out there is exploring the idea or the possibility of getting some coaching, I can't recommend Vito enough. My own personal experience, as well as the, I know the stories that I've heard in the ensuing years, is certainly uh this, this is an expert we're talking to here. So you're talking a lot about this whole idea of internal customer service and the internal customer experience. Do you have any other thoughts, any other thoughts about internal service experiences and other internal departments and their approaches? Well, I think, Wes, when you first mentioned this idea to me and um, we talked about internal service, the first thought that came to my mind is, How many of us in staff functions, uh, human resources, finance, uh, particularly audit, uh, law department, those who are responsible for, in some ways, minimizing risk for the company, uh, how are we perceived by our so-called internal customers? When we knock on the door and say, hi, I'm from HR, we're here to help, do they really feel that way? I don't think I've ever really thought about it that way as much of 
my approach was I just don't want to be perceived as the HR cop. I do. I, I viewed the vision, the mission, mission of human resources was to help help managers succeed. Uh, for that matter, help all employees to succeed. But particularly managers, that's a, that's a difficult job. And, uh, what, what can human resources do to help employees succeed and managers achieve the objectives for which they're responsible? I think that's a, that's a much different approach than uh, it's HR's job to, just to recruit people and, and to make sure people are following policies uh, and administering performance reviews. If you accept that cliche, which is now a cliche, that I serve the internal customer, Really expand on that thought and ask yourself, how do you show up when you're at their door? Is it the knock, I'm here to help? Do they perceive you as a cop? Do they perceive you as someone who is going to try to find something wrong with how you're managing or with your department? Or is it a welcoming site? Oh, great, the help I need is here. And what can you do? How can you you manage those staff functions, audit, HR, law, in a way that everyone else, particularly the managers, will view it as a welcoming site. And here, here's the help I need to, to succeed. Uh, yeah, it reminds me of a story right. you shared with me once about internal audit. And I just recently had some interactions with some internal auditors, and you had commented. Would you be willing to share that story? Uh, internal audit, uh, of course, provides a very important function in the company. Don't want to overlook that. Uh, they protect the company's assets. But because of that, uh, that responsibility and uh, the reputation over the years. People don't particularly enjoy working with internal audit, don't particularly have, enjoy them coming into your department and going through your books, your processes, and uh, finding something wrong. Uh, the experience I had, uh, and I've had experiences like that, where they just show up in your department and they come in, tell you this is wrong, that is wrong, write up a new procedure and send it to us and we'll sign off on it. Uh, no help at all, uh, just very uh, transactional not the best relationship between two coworkers because really internal audit is also the employed by the same company I'm employed with. We were colleagues and certainly don't feel that way sometimes. But this one woman uh, who, who led an audit for my char, she was in the finance department of internal audit. And she came in, it was a period of time and I'm going back, it was probably in the, in, in the, in the 90s when a lot of regulations were changing, particularly around um, healthcare administration of that, record keeping. And uh, in the 401k administration, policies and regulations on, um, on managing 401k programs, so some changes had, had occurred. Yeah, I certainly was looking for the help, as was my staff. And fortunately, we had an auditor in charge who had that attitude. And that's how she showed up. There's a lot of changes. I'm here to help. I'll explain everything. We'll go through it together. Uh, and she did that. She found some things that we needed to improve on in terms of controls, internal controls. And she actually worked with us on designing the new procedures that we needed in order to comply. And it was, it was a very good experience. Yes, internal audit can deliver outstanding customer service. What I hear you saying was that what was really important was that opening message. So what people heard when she arrived, which was, you know, there's been changes. And I know that that may be unfamiliar to you. And I want to help you be in compliance with those changes. And all of a sudden, instead of people seeing the cop trying to punish them, it's the person who's there to keep them from the cop punishing them. And, and even when they don't act like the cop, my comments may be a little bit harsh to make a point. You know, often they turn a lot of the first experiences. You get the phone call or the letter. And friendly because we probably know the person. I know the people in internal order, you know, their colleagues, again, 
but it's like, have this ready, have that ready. We're going to be there in such and such a day. And in fairness to them, they're up against the schedule. They have an audit schedule that they have to go through. So they have a limited amount of time to get done what they need to get done. So I certainly understand that. But it's that initial reaction uh, or that initial contact. I need this. I need you to do this. We're going to do this. We'll be there in such a day. No, you can't reschedule. Just the way that message is sent, even if it's in a friendly, collegial tone, it doesn't send a message of service where this one particular woman who was an internal audit, uh, that's how she started the conversation. We're here, we're, we're going to help you get through this, uh, help you go through the new regulations, make sure everything's in compliance, and we'll even help you design the new procedures. It reminds me of that expression we often hear in customer service, the with them, what's in it for me. Right. Yeah. And it's almost, it sounds as though she really was thinking about what would she want to be hearing if someone was coming to review her response to different procedures or, in this case, probably some legal mandates or policy type. And and I certainly empathize because HR, as I alluded to, we're perceived that way all the time. HR is here to make sure you follow the rules, the dress code, the attendance, whatever, follow the right policies. And my approach is always uh, our job is to help the manager manage their people. And that ties in with this whole idea of sensational customer experiences, because our premise is that everything your client knows about you is a result of what they take in with their senses. So what are they seeing? What are they hearing? You know, when you talk about hearing, you know, what, what are you saying? What, what's the message? And what's the tone of that message? What's, you know, what's the tone of the email that they're seeing? You know, it's everything that through their, in, their input is through their senses. And that's the only way that they have to know how to interpret what you're all about or what you're going to be there for, whether it's to their benefit or to their, not so much to their benefit. And, and that's why I, I think um, when companies look at what are the core competencies of success, more and more, one of the top ones, if not the, the most important, it's hard to pick one that's the most important, but one that really stands out in my mind is the build, the ability to build and manage relationships, and, and particularly what technology has done to that. Over-reliance on email or even text messages and, and just the time that's involved. What can you do, particularly if you're one of those staff functions, the HR is being an example, develop relationships. If your job is to help employees succeed, if you if you view the mission of HR is to help everyone succeed, to help managers achieve their objectives, how can you go about building those relationships? And, and that's, that's FaceTime. And mm-hmm. even if it's a global company, get on the phone, do a, it's easy enough these days to do a video conference, get people to know you and build that partnership. That's another cliche, but build the, build the partnership, the relationship that um, will get, will we'll help you, will help you do what you need to do. Recognize part of my job is to, to minimize the risk to the company, but I'll, I'll work with you and how we can do that together and come up with a solution that works for you who's under pressure to achieve the revenue or profit results you're expected to achieve. I believe HR can help and should help the managers responsible for revenue, profit particularly, to succeed. Well, certainly adds a whole new scope to the idea of how internal customer experiences should be developed and nurtured. There's a, a word that probably fits into what we're trying to convey here. And I, and I believe most people want to do that. And I'm sure if you talk to a lot of HR people, uh, or even people or managers have very good relationships uh, with, with HR and believe and perceive HR as doing a great job. But it's it's something you can't lose sight of because it's easy to slip. With all the pressures put on people to achieve objectives, the time pressures, the volume of work, one thing technology has done, it's, it's increased volume, particularly in HR, the amount of resumes you receive, for example. 
increase of regulations that have occurred in you know my 35 plus year career, how we're measured, you know, how, how, how our success is measured, all that can be contrary to providing good internal service. Yeah. I've uh, appreciated this time to get together today and I always like to ask a fun sensory question. So I have a fun question. Okay. Not a business one. So this is a fun one. I know that uh, you don't live in Las Vegas anymore, so you're kind of here visiting. I know you come regularly, though. And one of the questions I'm wondering, and this is this would tie into the taste sense, tell me a restaurant here in town or maybe it's a dish on the menu that you always look forward to coming to Vegas for. Oh, we went there the other the other night. Uh, we just found this place last year. My daughter and son-in-law, uh, he's in the military, and they were in Korea for a year. And they found a Korean restaurant here, Korean barbecue restaurant here in Las Vegas. You know, where they, they bring the tray of meat out and they cook it right there at the mm-hmm. table in front of you. Uh, delicious sides, uh, outstanding. Uh, the, food, the food tasted great. The service was outstanding. Great staff. So let's give them a plug. Where is this? Uh, I believe it's Hobark, H-O-B-O-K-B-A-K, here in Las Vegas. I've been there twice. Was there last year? Uh, we came back this year, specifically told my daughter, we want to go back to that restaurant. And to wrap this up is our segment on That Makes Sense to Me. One, two, or three tips or pointers that you can leave people with. You know, define boundaries. We talked about empowering people, the importance of finding defining boundaries, which is another way of setting clear expectations and holding people accountable to those expectations. But, but if you think about once you define those boundaries, that's also how you grow people. You give them authority and freedom to act within those boundaries. And if they succeed, then you expand the boundaries. If they fail, then you've got to go back and do some more teaching and coaching. View the teenager who you give the car keys to and have the car back by 10 o'clock and replace the gas. And as long as they do that, uh, okay, now you can keep the car out to midnight. But once that, once they're back at uh, 12.02, no, you're back to 10 o'clock for a couple weeks until you can show me you're going to meet the deadline. Okay, so set the boundaries, train them up within those boundaries. Coach and support so they'll succeed. And then expand the boundaries. Right. Hey, Hold accountable for achieving the boundaries and then expand. That's how you grow some money. Okay, excellent advice. So, and again, it's, it's about, if you're talking about sensation, when you ask a manager what their job is, a lot of managers will say, I've got to achieve results. Change your perspective, change your senses about what your job is. Your job as a manager is to help the people who work for you to succeed. If you can do that, if they succeed, you'll succeed, they'll grow, you'll grow. In fact, you can't grow until your people grow because you can't delegate the stuff you're doing to them until, in, in, until they're ready to grow. Thank you so much for giving me this time and sharing your insight and expertise again. Vito Stellato is is the expert coach, and if you want to work with him, go to statarius.com, that's S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com, and find out more about how they work, how they operate, and he will be certainly there and available and ready to take you to the next level, or if you have staff, help move them to the next level. Thanks a lot, Vito. Thanks, Wes. Great to see you again. For free tips, resources, and information, visit SensationalCustomerExperiences.com, your premier experience brand brought to you by Training for Results, located in the sensory capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. Until next time, remember, if you can sense it, your customers can too.